Welcome to the podcast, In and Through Exist, to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. Marshall, this is normally where we say, how you doing? Yeah. But we've been together for quite a bit this morning. We, we have, yeah. We've yeah. been sitting in my office now for a couple hours. It's true. Working on not only the question, mm-hmm. but the implications of the question. That's right. There has been more pre-show prep put into this. <laughs> than any show we've done. Oh, why do you have to say that? Tim? Would you Would you agree? I mean, that's true. But now there's I, I be mean, this expectation that this is going to be like, you know. Oh, it might still go nowhere. I, <laughs> uh, th- yeah. As as far as the one on one to or not the one on one, but the you and I together mm-hmm. working on it. This is a big one. It is. I don't think it's that complicated. But I think there are a lot of implications that come with it. This question is going to bring with it some baggage. Yeah. Lots of baggage. Is that a fair way to say it? Yeah. On one level, it's not complicated. It's super simple. But if you just go under the surface a bit, suddenly it can get a little convoluted. It can. As our recent conversation <laughs> evidenced. <laughs> and, and and it's a it's a... An argument that's existed for hundreds of years. Yeah. Between people who would call each other brother and sister in Christ. Mm -hmm. It's true. So the question, Marshall, read it for us. Are all people, just as they were lost through Adam, saved through Christ? Are all people, because through Adam we are universally lost. Mm -hmm. That is the doctrine of original sin. Mm -hmm. Are we then... Since Christ is the second Adam, as you talked about in last week's show, mm-hmm. are we then universally redeemed from the fall? It's a good question. How have some people answered this in a way that we would categorically deny? Okay, so the, f- the first one, uh, the first group that would answer this question with a resounding yes are the universalists. Universalists. Right? So essentially, God's mercy and love will ultimately reconcile all human souls to himself. That is their understanding, right? Mm -hmm. That the atonement is not only sufficient to redeem all humanity, but it does redeem all of humanity as a whole. Right. Um, and and they might uh, they might be inclined to pull out a couple verses to back up this perspective in this discussion about Adam and Christ. Um, they would go to like a first Corinthians 15:22 for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And so they'd say, oh well, all all, therefore everyone's saved, right And that's that's that. I mean, essentially, I mean, they would argue that this view has been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, they might even argue that some of the early church fathers promoted this, which I looked into that. It's a maybe a bit of a stretch. I, I would that. call it a stretch. I, 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 I think that's what happens. And, and the same is true with this passage of scripture. Mm-hmm. That's what happens when we take phrases out of their context. Yeah. 
So the phrase in particular, if anyone's interested in the Greek, it's uh, apokatastasis, which essentially just is the idea of all things being redeemed. Right. And so like Origen would be talking about this idea of like all things being redeemed in Christ. And then a universalist points back, you know, 1500 years and says, well, look what he, I mean, he's espousing this all people being redeemed to Christ where that might not necessarily. Right. Because then you have the concept of in Christ. Mm -hmm. Sure. Right. What does it mean to be in Christ? Mm -hmm. Uh, So those outside of Christ, not going to be redeemed. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And, and I think that's probably the un. I think it's definitely the understood statement in both origin and the passage that you read. Yeah, and and like universalism has only really become a thing, a prominent thing, in the last couple hundred years. Um, yeah, it's relatively new. Um, Frederick tried to make a huge comeback about nine or ten years ago with Rob Bell. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. if any of our listeners know the name uh, Schleiermacher, Frederick Schleiermacher, but he was German philosopher, theologian. Mm-hmm. He was really into this. Essentially that God relates to humanity as a whole rather right. than as individuals. So the whole of humanity is redeemed. It's not this kind of individual thing that's happening. Which makes the entire reading of the New Testament bizarre. Yeah. It makes a lot of things bizarre. Yeah. And so, and so, what happens is that there was the Universalist Church, and the church is, but there was a big one in in the states that ended up becoming uh, Unitarian Universalism, and they essentially hold no doctrinal positions whatsoever. Right. They literally they don't have a creed, they don't have a confession, they don't have a statement of faith, they don't have they've just I I don't know what their purpose is, but I'm sure they have a good time. Yeah, I, I've seen churches I, like that. <laughs> <laughs> Even uh, sort of in our area, when I was in Toronto, there was one down the road from us, and I always, I always wanted to just play a game, like deep down, just to go and be like, "So you affirm me entirely, right?" So, and they would be like, "Oh yeah, of course, I we have to mm-hmm. universal Unitarianism." Um, can you also affirm my belief that only those in Christ? Well, no, we reject that. Well. Now you've rejected me. Um, <laughs> just it, it's it's just such it just cannot do anything but cave in on itself, right? Like the position of we accept all ideas brings with it the counter that says we reject any exclusive idea, right? Which means you can't accept that idea, and since every religious perspective except their own is exclusive to their worldview and the practice of faith, then they are exclusive. Yeah. It's like, it's honestly, it's like the very basic, like philosophical problem where you have relativists trying to say objective truth is not a thing. Right. Trying to denounce objective truth by making an objective statement. Right. Like, this is philosophy 101. Anyways, like it's just a it's just a joke. It's, it's yeah, it's very <laughs> It's actually like I think we can laugh at it because it's silly. They don't have a position on anything. Right. And th- their position is that there sh- is no position to be held. Right. <laughs> Which is frustrating. I mean, talk it's, about it's making mind, yourself it's mind-bendingly frustrating. I mean, you got to you're making yourself irrelevant. I just I don't under, I don't understand it. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, and, and so the other thing would be to say there there are those 
I'm clipping here. There are those who would be uh, particularly in the um, in the Catholic, historically the Catholic faith mm-hmm. would be a famous one for this, mm. um, where they would say, "Yes, Christ." So long as you're doing the works, right? Um, which brought about the Reformation, right? Um, and all forms of Reformed theology, mm-hmm. because it is very clearly stated in Scripture that it's not Christ and, right? Yeah. And so the the problem that comes then is that there are people who want to take this and say, yes, in Christ, so long as, right. And that is also not acceptable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what is the answer? At least the answer in the catechism, Tim. I don't know. Hold on. We're having some mic trouble. People are going to be like, wait, you're really loud. Now you're really soft. Now I'm now. Gone. All right. Hold on. This is probably, we joke about not editing. This is probably just should be editing. We're going to have to do <laughs> some All right. So the answer according to the catechism is no. Okay. Not all are saved. Mm-hmm. In Christ, universally, in the same way that all are part of the fall because of Adam. Mm-hmm. No, only those who are elected by God and united to Christ by faith. Nevertheless, God in his mercy demonstrates common grace even to those who are not elect by restraining the effects of sin and enabling works of culture for human well-being. Mm-hmm. I think... The first sentence answers the question. Right. The second sentence just feels like extra. It answers a different question. It answers a different and question. And then it actually even kind of goes in a bit of a strange direction. It just brings culture into it because it's like, hey, why don't we? Why not just drop the word culture? Because that's cool. Right. So let's let's quickly deal with the second. Okay. The second sentence. The yeah. second sentence is just there to say, just because salvation is not universal, mm-hmm. doesn't mean that there aren't elements of God's grace that are expressed to everyone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We like, The sun shines on both. Yeah. There was a, actually in Mark, I was reading and was struck by um, when Jesus interacting with the rich young ruler who actually, ri- like, who, you know, goes away sad because he has these great possessions that he's unwilling to sell and follow Jesus. It talks about, Jesus's motivation uh, for engaging with this the rich young ruler is that he loved him. Sure. Right? So mm-hmm. there is a degree to which God loves all of his creation, including human beings who reject him. There is still a, a love there. Right. It's just perhaps different than, well, it is different than those who are than the love that those who are in Christ experience. Right. Right? So it, it comes with a different degree of expression. Sure. Yeah. And a different degree of reward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there is the, there are blessings for those, right? God is God is good, right? God is gracious and he's benevolent and he is loving and so mm-hmm. you know he that is that is who he is and and we see evidence of that even amongst those who don't know Christ. Right. So that's dealt with. Okay, done. Now we said that this answer comes with some baggage, yet it can also be very simple. Sure. So are all people saved through Christ the way that all people have experienced the fall through Adam? No. 
Mm-hmm. That's easy. Yeah. That's straightforward, and I think everyone would agree with that. Sure. Who is a part of any level of orthodox Christianity. Right. Only those who are united to Christ by faith. Again, universally accepted. Right. That's easy. Right. There's no baggage here. Short episode. Thanks for listening. (laughs) But there's that one word. (laughs) That one word that causes people to fall all over themselves. And that word is? Elected. Elected. (laughs) (laughs) Because this drives into a very particular. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Very particular conversation. It does. About what has become known as Calvinism versus Arminianism. Mm -hmm. Although we have had a very long conversation of whether or not two camps is justifiable. If that's the best way to describe. It's the most common understanding, so we'll we'll go with it today. Sure. It's a 30-minute episode. We can't yeah. do, talk about everything. <laughs> and, and a lot of people are going to say, because you say only those who are elected mm-hmm. means that it is a perfectly Calvinistic interpret- interpretation mm-hmm. and Arminian branches of faith are going to deny this answer. Yeah. That's not necessarily true though. That is not true because the difference amongst Arminians and Calvinists is not whether or not they affirm election. It's how do they understand it to operate? Perfectly defined. I I would say it's not about whether or not election is, but what it is. Yeah. Nice. That was good too. And we're on a roll. <laughs> Thanks for listening. This podcast is <laughs> before we crash and burn, end it. Right. So, so I, I think now, if we're going to say it's simple, except for what does election mean? I, I think it's only fair to talk about different ways election can be seen. Yeah. And and that way we can understand that these are different ideas inside of a main idea. Right. And that by and large, the disagreement on what election is, is not a measure of orthodoxy. Agreed. It's not a measure of first order theology. Agreed. It could be second order. And in some instances, it's going to be tertiary. Mm-hmm. Um, but you want to take the Calvinist perce- concept of election? Sure. Yeah. So the the Calvinistic concept of election is um, essentially that. I mean, you can kind of uh, from Ephesians one, the idea that before the foundations of the earth, there were individuals who were predestined by God to come to saving faith um, that essentially they were chosen um, to be part of his people, the people that he would redeem through Christ. And so this is something that occurs before the world is even created. Right. And so um, one is elect even if they haven't necessarily come to faith yet. Or they can Mm -hmm. be elect even if they haven't come to faith yet, theoretically. Because 
it's rooted in something that happened in eternity past. Um, so the, the elect are those who are in Christ and to some degree, by extension, those who will come to Christ, I think is a fair way to explain yeah, it. Yeah, a predetermined group of people from the foundations of the earth. Yep. So when people think about election, that's generally what they think of. Mm-hmm. Because Calvinism talks about election more than other branches of faith. Arminianism. You want to give the tunnel of time theory? No, you go ahead. You do it. Okay. So the idea is God in his perfect and exhaustive foreknowledge Mm -hmm. knew those who would receive him and those who would reject him. And he has set apart and claimed those who would have both the disposition and opportunity to receive him um, based on his foreknowledge. Yeah. So looking down the tunnel of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he knew. Chose those who would choose him. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Uh, another Armenian perspective is an umbrella perspective that the election is the election of Christ and... All those who are in Christ are clothed in his righteousness and reside within his election. Right. So Under his election umbrella. Right. So we remain in him, and he remains in us, mm-hmm. and we're saved mm-hmm. by his election. Right. And so that predetermined election before the foundations of the earth is not about our own dispositions, and it's not about a set-apart number of people, but it's about the idea that Christ would, from the beginning, come as the Redeemer, and all those who would receive are under his election, mm. and therefore elect in and of themselves right. by extension. Mm. I think those are the, the three most common that I've had dealings with. Sure, yeah. Um, I'm certain that there are others. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. During the, during the reformation, uh, there was a saying that said, uh, if you have one Dutchman, you have a theologian where two are gathered, you have a schism. (laughs) Uh, because we all do, (laughs) we all do theology. That's roughly, I mean, if you Google that, you might find that there's some nuance in the statement. Uh, but, but we, we all have, we are all theologians, to borrow from R.C. Sproul. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are, there are different ways to look at this that are still within orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say the only thing we need to reject entirely out of hand mm-hmm. is a universalist or a works-based position. Mm-hmm. Now, there are some people who are screaming mm-hmm. at their phone <laughs> or their radio, whatever it is that you're listening on. Some people from both camps. From each camp. That are screaming. Saying, how dare you even give <laughs> credit or space to that other position? Right. <laughs> I did it. Um, <laughs> and, and the reason is, like I said, this is not a measure of orthodoxy. Right. It has been in the past. Mm-hmm. It is in certain circles. And it is in certain circles. The Council of Dort, Mm -hmm. this was a big deal. Mm -hmm. This is where the Calvinist in Geneva 
put on trial those who were following the teachings of Arminius, mm-hmm. who had been a student at the very seminary, putting everyone on trial. <laughs> okay. Right? <laughs> this is not involving Arminius or Calvin themselves. Right. Yeah. These, this is the followers of mm-hmm. these two. Mm-hmm. I think I think the head of the Council of Dort was actually the dean of the college who was the nephew of Calvin. Mm. Uh, but Arminius had just passed away like only a couple of years before the Council of Dort was actually held. But in that, they come to the this debate that creates the split, all based on what we call lapsarian positions. This is going to get fun. <laughs> We're going to nerd out a bit. Uh, if you're washing the dishes and listening at the same time, you might just want to shake your hands dry, have a seat, and turn up the radio. <laughs> because this is going to get a little hairy, but I think worthy of an introduction. Sure, yeah. If you're an astute theologian and you don't like uh, my definitions of the various lapsarian positions, you can take it up with Miller J. Erickson. <laughs> um, because I'm reading from his sure. Christian theology. It's essentially a, a systematic theology in textbook form. The first position is supralapsarianism. Mm. This would have been held by the reformers at the Council of Dort, mm-hmm. the Calvinists. Right. And their order, how things would have taken place, is... First, God decrees to save some people and condemn others. Mm-hmm. That is the first decision God made. Yeah. Then, he decrees to create both camps of people, mm-hmm. the elect and what Calvin would call the reprobate. Mm. Then, there is a decree made to permit the fall, and then the decree to provide salvation mm-hmm. for the elect. Mm-hmm. So, before anything else, God's determination was that for his glory's sake, Mm -hmm. he was going to create two groups of people and save one of them. Mm -hmm. I think is how an Arminian would want to sum that up. Right. (laughs) And the Calvinists would say, before the foundations of the earth, we were predestined, (laughs) right? That's that's where they would go. Right, they would would just quote Ephesians 1. Of course, this is the right one, right? Yeah. <laughs> Infralapsarianism mm-hmm. is the position held by classical Arminianism. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit different. It says God decreed first to create human beings mm-hmm. for his glory's sake to hold dominion within creation. Whatever. He decided he was going to create human beings. Mm-hmm. Then he was going to decree the permission for the fall. Mm-hmm. I'm going to allow the fall to occur. Then that he would save some and condemn others. And then the decree to provide salvation for only the elect, whatever that election might mean. Mm -hmm. Again, you get into the definitions of elect, those who he knew he would save. But but the, the emphasis on the lapsarian position is that humanity was created before the two groups were formed. Yeah. That's the big difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sublapsarianism, I believe, is an invention of Erickson. So mm. maybe not as commonly known. I could be wrong on that, but that's the way I kind of read his book here. 
that is the decree that human uh, to create human beings, the decree to permit the fall. So far, it's infralapsarianism. Uh, the decree to provide salvation sufficient for all. So we have a universal atonement. And the decree to choose some to receive that salvation and not others. Mm-hmm. Right? I, the reason I want to point out the lapsarian positions is because these are the root hmm. from which all of our divisions on election grow. And it comes down to the order with which God made creative decisions. Right. This order is not given to us in Scripture. It's not. And it I would ass- argue not alluded to in Scripture. And it assumes, another thing that it does is it assumes that God operates in his decision-making process in a way that is knowable and familiar to us that we can wrap our minds around so or even sequential right yeah um which i think might actually present some problems if we think about god needing to do certain things in certain sequences are we suggesting that a god who exists outside of a space-time continuum would still necessarily make decisions within time (laughs) i mean Christ is the expression of the God who exists outside of time coming into time and operating in that regard. So there is right. there is an element of that for sure. But, but yeah, we just have to be careful. Yeah, we have to be careful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I, I think that is the perfect statement to sum this up, Marshall. Mm-hmm. We need to be careful. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I'm not trying to have anyone believe one way or the other on this. Mm-hmm. I, I want us to learn to have grace for each other yeah. and differing opinions on this. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think I think what we need to understand, too, is even if uh, we, we take a position um, and even if we would choose to hold one of those labels or, you know, live in the space in between, to have a healthy understanding and appreciation for what our brothers and sisters uh, belief, because again, this is not, as you said before, a question of orthodoxy. This is a question of interpretation, right? Um, and perhaps, and in- sometimes not even interpretation. Sometimes philosophical reasoning. Sure, yeah. There's elements of that as well, yeah. right? Um, I think because, for- because I think to say interpretation, you would have to say these things are listed in scripture, mm-hmm. and this is how I interpret the reading of that. Right, right. But instead, we say this seems to me the reasonable way that it would have had to have taken place, which is a philosophical reasoning sure. and not an interpretation even. Yeah, and I think both sides import philosophical thinking into their systems of thought, whether it's the Arminian or sure. the Calvinistic one, right? They're saying, surely God must operate this way, even though we don't get that explicitly, or surely you know, the, the will of man operates this way, even though you know, we don't necessarily get that explicitly. Um, so, but I, you know, it's important for us to understand what one another thinks so that we can at least have uh, an appreciation for um, where others are coming from and to avoid just, you know, setting up straw men mm-hmm. for those who disagree. Right. 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 And the constantly just characterizing the others as, you know, a bunch of loonies who don't know how to read their Bible and are promoting this, you know, this terrible teaching that's leading people to destruction. I mean, that's simply not, that's simply not the case um, for either camp. Right. Um, and, and although I might lean, uh, or I do lean towards one in particular, um, 
I would come against those from my same camp who would want to treat others as lesser Christians or or question their salvation because they don't have the same soteriology. Um, that's that's a bad thing, and we should we should oppose that. I think. Yeah, I, I agree, and, and there are there are great minds of Christian faith that disagree on these things. Oh yeah, people that we love to read and tout mm-hmm. um, that disagree on this particular issue. Yeah, and some people get really bothered by that. I think you know, I know, I know some people get they're really bothered that they're that there isn't this like universal agreement. But like, I mean, when we're talking about, you know, lapsarian theology, these are obscure things. Like it's okay that we're not all on the same page there. Or even as it relates to, you know, things like eschatology, right? Like there, there are certain matters that are not fully revealed, that are not abundantly clear, that we don't have all of the information on. And so there might be some divergence in, in how things are interpreted and understood. Yeah, right. and so on that, I would say, because some are going to come at us and they're going to say, oh, what you're doing is you're telling people not to think about it. Shouldn't we explore the things of God? Shouldn't we mm-hmm. find beauty in knowing things? I say, knock yourself out. Mm-hmm. I have fun doing this. Mm-hmm. I In our long conversation this morning about implications of the concept of election and, and how we view other people with different opinions— that was a blast for me. I, mm-hmm. I love these kinds of exercises. It is the exploration of an infinite God. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying be careful how much time you spend in it. I think we should spend more time in it. Oh, yeah. I'm saying be careful where you plant your flags mm-hmm. and how heavily you hold to them. Right. I, I think I think we'd be better served to humble ourselves and begin a lot of our theological discussions with it seems to me that. Mm-hmm. At least about the things that Scripture is not abundantly clear on. Yeah, there 100, are things. One hundred percent. Right. Yeah, and I know that yeah. you meant that, but I just wanted to, sure. to add that clarification. Yeah, appreciate it. Well, one of the things that the you know I think that people ought to do if they are interested in this subject and really want to dig deeper is if you're trying to understand this, if this whole Calvinist Arminian thing um, is something that you've heard a lot about but you don't even really understand it, I would encourage people to to read about Arminianism from Arminians, which is something that you've Mm-hmm. you know, um, that you do, as well as reading about Calvinism from Calvinists, right? Right. Like, let let the people who have those positions speak for themselves. Don't just read the straw men that people from one camp are, are building. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. Because uh, you're not going to get um, a healthy representation of either of either opinion. And, and I would say even reading works that are pro and not antithetical. Right. In the way that you would say, reading a book that's called, I, I think Olson has one called Arminian Theology. Mm-hmm. I think that's the better starting point mm-hmm. than his book, Why I'm Not a Calvinist. Right. Right? <laughs> um, right. Because that's where you're going to get a clearer picture of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and so, so although the word elect present here mm-hmm. is going to, to do things inside. <laughs> or feel like it's entirely lean. I mean, the book was written by a Presbyterian. Yeah. They are of a particular camp. Yeah. Of particulars. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so so that is going to be what they mean in it. Right. But what I would want to say is, can we affirm this statement that only those who are elected by God and united to Christ by faith mm-hmm will be saved, mm-hmm. and that salvation is not universally applied to all humanity. Mm-hmm. 100% mm-hmm. 
I agree with this, and I would encourage every believer to agree with this. Mm-hmm. What you believe the process of election to be does not weigh into whether or not you accept this statement. Yeah. Because I think all camps agree that only those elected by God and united to Christ through faith are saved. Mm-hmm. The question just comes down to what is the process mm-hmm. and the meaning of election? Yeah, no, that's it. That's um, it exactly. So, so is this a divisive one? No, it shouldn't be. Hope not. It should be pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Um, but boy, does it carry its baggage. Oh, it does, eh? <laughs> I, I kind of wonder. We get a couple of emails, right? Maybe an occasional phone call. Yeah. About hey, tell me more. I wonder if this will be an episode that will increase that. It might. We'll see. <laughs> Either way, anything else that you wanted to throw in there before no. we back out? No, I'm good. All right. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada and is produced by Alex Walker. Have a good time, folks. See you later. <laughs>